Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Brian, joined in the studio by Eric and Ross. Guys, today we're in the third week of our Gospel of Mark series. We're going through the Gospel of Mark for the next few months, sort of verse by verse. And today we're going to be focused on chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. And we're going to see today that Jesus gets us, that, that to be our Savior Jesus became truly and completely one of us. So we're going to talk today about his baptism. We're going to talk about his temptation and then kind of what all of that leads to when it comes to saving us, our salvation. So we're going to get a little theological today. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to move people's hearts as well as we, as we talk about some of the stuff that we can go through in life that Jesus did as well. There's just a ton to cover today. But before we do any of it, Eric, why don't we start just by reading our text for today. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 15. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go to the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and angels took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Okay, Ross, let's start with the baptism of Jesus. Right, some people coming to this text might say, "Okay, hold on a second. You know, I listened to last week's episode about John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. He wasn't a Methodist; he was a Baptist, right? <laughs> so John the Baptist came, and his message was a message of repentance. He says, "Repent and believe." He's preparing a way for the one to come, and we find out in this in these verses that that one to come is Jesus Himself. But the most obvious question I think probably people would ask Ross is. I thought Jesus is God. I thought Jesus was sinless and perfect, so why did he have to get baptized? So no, Jesus did not need to repent. He was sinless, the Bible tells us. And so there's a number of reasons why he was baptized. First of all, this is Jesus going public. This is his first appearance on the public scene, starting his his public ministry. And so, um, you know, and actually you read about how these heavenly signs... Uh, the Father speaks from heaven and gives him his approval, and the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove, all ways to show all these crowds that were coming out to to see John the Baptist. Jesus is there publicly, and, and God affirms him and says, okay, this is the one. It's kind of like he's saying, this is the one that John was telling you was going to come, and now, boom, you see him here. And so the baptism is is kind of a way for Jesus to raise the curtain on his public ministry. That's that's one thing that's going on. Well, yeah, and then the second thing, and this is good for, I think, for all of us to think about and remember, the second thing is that Jesus did it just simply to be obedient to the Father. You know, there's a place in Scripture that says he was baptized, he had to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Mm-hmm. In other words, that this was something that that the Father wanted him to do, and and so he wanted to be obedient, which is which really should be a good lesson for all of us. Like he did it to be obedient, and we should be baptized. We'll talk about that in a minute. Right. Out of obedience. Yeah, one of the other wonderful things that we see in this is is uh, a story that that people don't quite understand if they don't understand the Trinity. 
because you see the triune nature of God all at Jesus' baptism. You see the Father speaking, the Spirit in the form of a dove coming on the Son, Jesus Christ. And so there are a lot of different ideas about who God is or how he exists, and I've heard a lot of, you know, questions. Well, if, if Jesus is God, then how is God from heaven talking down to him? And, and so they don't really understand that, well, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct, unique persons, but they all together are God. They're all fully God, but there are three personhoods in the Trinity, and they have relationship with one another, and we see that intimate relationship playing out where the Father actually affirms the Son, says, I'm I'm pleased with him, and then the, the Spirit descending on him and coming on him also marks out this is this is the one whom is going to be the messiah the one who's going to fulfill my ministry and he's going to do it in the power of the holy spirit because he's a man yeah let's look again at what god the father said from heaven at the baptism and remember the gospel of mark is the shortest gospel mark didn't want to waste any words but i love that he even though this is the shortest um, version of the baptism of Jesus, I love that he includes the Father's words to the Son. The Father says, you are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. And I, I, this has always really struck me for any dad out there listening, that like you said, Ross, this was, this was Jesus' first public act, essentially, as he, as he opened the curtain on his ministry. And I think that's why Mark included this, is because he wanted... He wanted to make sure that his readers understood that God the Father approved of Jesus, that God the Father was praising Jesus. In fact, there's only a couple of times in the Gospels where the Father speaks to the Son, and every time he's, he's saying things like this, this is my Son, and I love him. What a great lesson for mm -hmm. us dads, by the yeah. way, yeah. To, to be speaking life, speaking, you know, we're talking about how Jesus gets us and Jesus became one of us but even even God model God the Father models something for us here that that we should be speaking words of life into our children that's just a little aside for this yeah and thinking about what Jesus is is about to do this this mission he's embarking upon this journey that he's about to he's going to spend 3 years of the hardest time of his human life and it, it reminds me, as you're saying that, you know, thinking about a father, God the Father saying, you got this, you're empowered, I, I love you, you you can do this, you you make me proud, you know, that's kind of like a, yeah. a father telling a son, you know, as he drops him off at boot camp, right, or he takes him to a sporting event or to, you know, college or whatever, I, I love you, son. Or if he's trying to pee into the toilet for the first time. You're like, you got the Cheerio, you got Cheerios floating around in there. You got this, son. You can do this. I remember that with AJ when he was little. I was little. about to cry, and then you really just... <laughs> well, I could tell. It. You know, Eric, <laughs> your son is young, and, and there's something about your, your, new, your newborn son that's really brought out the soft side of you, which is good. Like, this is what this story should do for us. It should make us look at these words and say, wow, the father has a relationship with the son. Right. Right. I mean, that's... That's really what we learn here is the father has a relationship with the son and the son has a relationship with the father you know in john 8 29 jesus says for i always do what pleases my father mm -hmm. and so we see this the trinity right this is what right. we're talking about we right. see this relationship here 
between Father and Son and the Trinity. Yeah, but, and what's so amazing, though, to, to build on that, is that Jesus is not just coming, like, waving his God flag and for everybody to, to notice that, you know, he's God, but he's also, in this baptism, we asked the question originally, so why did Jesus get baptized if he didn't have any sin to, to repent of? Well, there's another thing here that's pretty important, that he's actually identifying with us as human beings. So there's a relationship between Jesus and the Father in the Trinity, but there's also this relationship of Jesus with us in what we call the incarnation, that he has become flesh and lives among us. So baptism reveals that he's really human. He didn't just appear to be human. It wasn't just like a hologram or, you know, or, or some kind of a... Um, just a fake human being, but he fully entered into our reality. So Hebrews 4, uh, chapter 2, verse 14 says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Now the rest of the verse, we'll look at that later, because it shows us the significance of that. But he was willing to identify with us to become flesh and blood, even to the point of being baptized, even though he didn't, he didn't have anything to confess. Mm. So when we get baptized, we identify with him. And, and what yep. you're saying, it's, it's beautiful. The reverse is happening here when he starts his ministry. He's identifying with humanity. He's not being baptized in repentance of his own sins, but it's almost as if he's being baptized into our sins because he knows that he's about to take on all of humanity's sins. And so in this way, as... We are going to figure out, it flips later, that we should identify with him. He first comes as a human being, and only by God becoming a human being could he be the sacrifice for our sins, and only by him being God could he actually take on our sins, all of humanity's sins. It's a beautiful thing. It's highly a, the a theological mm -hmm. concept, but... Yeah, really, we've gotten... We've, we've covered... Already, we've covered a lot of theology here in the in these few verses that Mark gives us on this baptism that 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 it re reveals something of the Trinity to us. Again, we've got more resources. We'll link those below if you want to learn more about the Trinity because we just brushed over it here. But that God is three persons. God exists as three persons, but He's one one in being. And so this story here of the baptism supports the biblical understanding of the Trinity. It doesn't, it doesn't actually throw it under the bus. Like this is, this is the mm -hmm. beauty of the Trinity when you really understand the Trinity. This is, this is part of what we use to prove how we understand the nature of God. It's different than how any of us exist, but that this baptism of Jesus is really about identification. And so, you know, let's, let's get practical here for a second, because I can hear people listening to this saying... Okay, should I get baptized? You know, I'm a Christian, and should I get baptized? And I think every one of us would say, 100%, yes. Mm -hmm. If you've trusted Jesus for salvation, you should get baptized. Look, if Jesus wasn't above it, if Jesus right. said, I, I'm doing it to fulfill all righteousness, he didn't have to do it, like you said, Ross, out of repentance. We do. We, for us, it's, it, we identify with Christ in baptism, but we also need to recognize that there, the symbolism of baptism, that we go into the water and we come up out of the water, new people, right? So for us, there are so many more reasons to do it than even for Jesus, and yet there are so many men and women out there who have trusted Jesus for salvation, who for some reason have never gotten around to it. Yeah, and so and, and Jesus did this publicly. Um, and so mm -hmm. I think for us too, baptism 
um, when we identify with him, he had publicly identified with us. When we identify with him in faith, there's a public dimension to that too. Mm. And, you know, so I, I've never seen like the Holy Spirit appear in the form of a dove or God speak from heaven. Yeah. But I, I'm sure that of what we know scripturally about the God the Father, that he's pleased when we take that step of obedience to him. And we see also, as we should identify with him, like you said, Brian, we identify with his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And if we think about how Mark has framed this up uh, with these verses, this is the first thing that Jesus does to start his ministry. So therefore, for us, the first thing that we should do once we come to faith in Christ should be this symbolism of identifying with Christ. And so if you're out there today and, you know, it's been years since you've, you, you've come to faith, but you still haven't made that decision to get baptized, I want to encourage you to just do it. And maybe uh, you recently got saved and you're wondering when I should. I think for you, understanding baptism and the reason why you should do it is key. Romans 6 makes that clear to us. Verses 3 and 4, it says, Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We're symbolizing all of those things, his life, death, burial, resurrection, when we join the family of God by faith alone in Jesus Christ. But yet the first act we should do, like Jesus' act, is to get baptized. Okay, so a couple questions. Amen. For the people who are out there listening who are feeling just a little bit of conviction or maybe even a little confusion around this, a couple quick questions before we move on. Ross, should a person get baptized if they were already baptized in another church? Okay, just a quick answer yeah, to that. Yeah, quick answer. Yes or no. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, it, some, some churches don't represent what Jesus taught. Right. And so if you were baptized in a church that doesn't really represent the things that Jesus taught or doesn't, the baptism that you experience doesn't represent a New Testament baptism and trust in Jesus and becoming a new person in Him, then, then that baptism is not valid in the eyes of God, and you should be rebaptized. Yeah, so for example, if you were, if you were a part of a cult... Right. If you're part of a church that was that's not a Christian, that's what you're talking about. Yep. Not a Christian church. That's a cult. Then you should you should get rebaptized. You know, I, I think maybe another question is, what if I was baptized as an infant? Right. I was actually baptized as an infant. Uh, my parents were Catholic when I was baptized, and and I think there are probably a couple of different answers to this. For me personally, I'll give my personal answer: is I did get baptized as a as a teenager because for me being baptized as an infant wasn't a personal decision that I made. Right. Now, again, if you want to learn more about infant baptism, there's different perspectives on it. I'm not saying infant baptism is necessarily always wrong. There's some other resources in our library on that. In our church, we do believer's baptism, adult baptism. Um, and so, but that's another, that's another, another issue for people. I would just encourage you, if you, you know, pray about it. If you feel like, yeah, this is something I need to do out of obedience to Jesus, to identify with Jesus, then I would say, don't complicate it. Just get baptized. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it again. Mm -hmm. Just get yeah. baptized. But yeah. definitely, if you're baptized in a cult, then you should get you should get rebaptized if you've trace if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Right. Amen. Okay. Yep. Another question, Eric. You mentioned this. Should 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 someone get? Can someone just get baptized in private, like in a private 
Can they just baptize themselves in a, in their tub tonight? Well, no, nobody can baptize themselves. There's no instance in the Bible where someone baptized themselves. Okay. Now, there are instances where it seems like, I think it's the, the Ethiopian eunuch gets baptized just with, uh, who is it? Philip. Philip, Philip right? Yeah. So they're together. He explains the gospel. There's water on the side of the road. They said, what, what prevents him from being baptized? So he does get baptized there um, kind of in private a little in bit private yeah. but the but the majority of the bible the new testament really shows that it is a public thing like we're seeing jesus does it in public because as we talked about last week you are kind of drawing the line in the sand you're professing what you believe publicly and you know part of our salvation anyway um paul tells us in romans 10 9 confess with your mouth believe in your heart well well, how 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 can people see that you've that you have faith or you've trusted in Jesus without this first symbolic act being basically publicly professed? Because when we put someone down in the water, we ask them, "Have you placed your faith in mm-hmm. Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins um, by by His grace alone?" You know, and then they say yes publicly. We usually have a microphone up to yeah. them, right? And yep. when they say yes, they are confessing publicly. And so I think Jesus is worthy and deserves our maybe even risky public profession mm. through baptism. I would say that's the most biblical is to do it that yeah, way. Yeah, and it's an opportunity for people to invite friends. Yes. You know, in our church, we always tell people, even if they're super introverts, we're like, look, we get it. But man, what an opportunity to invite some friends or family members that a lot of, for a lot of people, that's the first time or maybe the only time they'll ever come to a church like ours is when somebody in their family is getting baptized. So we said, this is a great opportunity for you to invite somebody. And we do the baptisms at the end of the service so that they, their guests have to stick around for the whole service. Like, look, maybe that's going to be the thing that opens their eyes mm-hmm. to, to what your eyes have been open to. Yeah. All right, yeah. one more question, Ross, and we'll move on. Because th- this is probably the most important one. Is a purse, is a, is a, does God wait to save someone until a person gets baptized? Right, because Jesus said, "I'm doing it to to fulfill all righteousness." So there might be someone out there who's thinking, "Oh, I feel guilty now. I became a Christian ten years ago, and I never got baptized. Is that person saved, or was God waiting for them to get baptized?" No, not at all. The, the baptism is an outward symbol of an internal reality, but it doesn't make define the reality. It doesn't make it happen. And so a person. So, for example, biblically, the thief on the cross never had a mm-hmm. chance to get baptized. And yet Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so we like to use the illustration of a wedding ring. My, I, put on a, I put on a wedding ring the day I was married, but that ring didn't make me married. I would be married if I had never worn the ring. Mm. But I want to wear the ring in order to demonstrate to everybody that I'm spoken for, that I belong to this person and we're in a relationship together. One more thing I wanted to say about that too, which is beautiful about this story. We can look, we get in Scripture, we look back to it, right? We do sermons on it. We say, look at this, Jesus got baptized. The same thing should be for us on our baptism day is that we can look back at it, kind of like a wedding, right? You know, when newlyweds get married and for years even after they've got all their these pictures from the wedding and they're showing everybody, look at us, look at us. And, you know, for the first couple of months, they're just loving all these pictures and showing them to everybody. And um, that's the exciting thing about coming into a relationship with God 
is that we should be able to look back at a time and celebrate when we we made our commitment to him. He he committed to us, and and baptism is a symbolism that we're committing to him. Yeah. Okay, so 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 he gets us. Jesus gets us. Je- the part of the incarnation, the baptism is part of the incarnation in a sense, right? That Jesus, if Jesus never took on flesh, he would have never gotten baptized. So he gets us in baptism. But the cool thing is, is then Mark quickly moves on to the next couple of verses, verses twelve and thirteen. I'll read them again. It says, "The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into." the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. Now, we can learn more about this wilderness experience in some of the other Gospels, but right here, this is all Mark tells us about this. And really, I think the reason he does this, and he connects it right to this short account of the baptism, is because, again, he's trying to show us that Jesus gets us. Yeah, we saw... Last week, we talked about the significance of the wilderness. And when people, when they, when, um, you know, this is so linked to the history of Israel, because Israel went into the wilderness of Sinai. They were there for 40 years, and Jesus spends these 40 days in the wilderness. And, and so, again, I think this points to Jesus identifying with, with fallen humanity. The mm-hmm. difference is we see that Israel failed their wilderness test, mm. you know, but. By contrast, Jesus passed his wilderness test. So everything that Satan threw at him, you know, he he passed it, and he where we get it wrong, he gets it right. And this is huge because if if Jesus didn't pass this test, we wouldn't have our salvation. And so it's a victory where hum, humanity failed. You know, Israel represents the church, represents humanity. Where they have failed and fallen short, Christ has victory, victory over Satan. And it's interesting, um, this happens right after the baptism, by the way. I, I, um, I tell people often, if you're going to make a public profession of faith, you probably should expect a little bit of attack, maybe from family members, maybe from friends, or maybe from... You know, Satan himself, you've put a target on your back because you've jumped ship and you've changed teams. You were on his yeah. team, and now you've ident- you put on God's jersey now <laughs> when you do that. And now, now Satan wants to try to tempt you and me. And that's really Satan's job. We see this in the, this wilderness is that Satan's job is to use sin to entice people to fall and to go away from God. And Jesus really models for us along with identifying with us, but yet as the victor, he models for us how to defeat Satan in the wilderness. Okay, so hold on a second, Ross. I I can hear some listeners saying, what are you talking about right now? Satan? Like, this isn't a Mm. thing that probably most modern-day people think much about, right? Who... Is this for real? Like Satan is for this is a real character in the Bible. Satan's a real character in the Bible, and it says right here in the verse, Jesus went out to the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan for forty days. Like what the heck? If I'm approaching this as a someone who's never read the Bible before, this would be a weird verse to me. That for several reasons. First of all, who is Satan? Secondly, why does he get to tempt Jesus? That almost puts them on the same. It feels like it maybe puts them on the same level. Like I got all kinds of questions here. Help me out, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the biblical worldview um, presumes that there's a spiritual reality that's beyond just the material world we live in, 
and that so and that includes the existence of God, an infinite God, but also includes the existence of lesser beings that God has allowed. God uses, for example, beings that we call angels, spiritual beings, to use, as His messengers, and as you know, He uses them to get His work done. But then, then, then the, there's evil forces out there too, Satan and other demonic powers that uh, rebelled against God. And so they're out there trying to oppose God. So we have this this worldview that is borne out in Scripture, but it's also borne out in reality and in, in so many experiences around the world, um, where you know these these powers, these spiritual powers, are, become manifest in different ways. And so we, we we've got this uh, clear sense that yeah, there there is uh, more than just what we can see with our own two eyes. And that includes this adversary, this accuser, mm-hmm. um, who who's trying to tempt us to go against God's ways, and he's always trying to undermine God's plans in our lives and in the world. Okay, so so did Je- did Jesus actually see Satan? Was this like a physical appearance? Question one. Question two is: Should Eric? Should we expect that? When we get baptized, or like you just said, like be ready when you when you start getting on mission, when you start proclaiming your faith, like that's when Satan's going to get ticked off at you because you're not a threat until until you get off the couch, right? So, should have you ever? I guess maybe a better question is: Have you ever physically seen Satan, and is that what's going on here in this passage? No, I've never physically seen Satan. Um, although a vision in my mind comes from old movies probably Mm. of a red guy with horns, but I'm not Jesus. The difference between me and Jesus in this, this situation is that he is also God. I am just a man. It is assumed that in other stories that we can go look at, you know, that Satan and Jesus are actually able to talk to one another. Mm. There's talking, Jesus rebukes him. I've never heard Satan talk to me either, Mm -hmm. you know, but it is a, it is probably a thing that Satan can come into our thoughts, twist our thoughts. He may have that power. I mean, it's alluded to, mm-hmm. but no, I he he tempts me um, in other ways. He uses the world. He uses um, you know shiny things, prosperity, sin, all kinds of different stuff to to get me off track. And that's again, that's Satan's goal. He's been doing that from the beginning. You know, you go back to the story of Adam and Eve. Um, where, again, he directly talked to them. Satan's kind of changed his game, I guess, from, from then to now. Now he's, he's more, it says that he also acts as an angel of light, and so he's very deceptive. He's behind a lot of cults, a lot, behind a lot of false religion, behind a lot of things that look good out there in the world. Even if you look at the things that Satan was tempting Jesus with, like with food and and with fame and stuff like that, I mean, he's still doing those things today, just maybe in a more subtle way because he's crafty and he knows how to get at us. Mm-hmm. And he knows that we're weak. Um, he was prideful enough to think that he could actually tempt the Son of God. Mm. Um, and so if he, if, he, if he has that much <laughs> zeal to do that um, towards Jesus, he's definitely got enough... Uh, self-confidence to come at us and try to get us off track. But that's where we stand in identification with Christ. You know, the interesting thing is I think about this is Jesus actually allowed 
Satan to tempt him. Well, more than that, even in verse 12, Ross, it says that the Spirit compelled mm-hmm. Jesus exactly. right. to yeah. go into the wilderness. It yeah. sounds to me, Ross, help us with this, as, as listeners are trying to understand maybe how Satan is going to tempt them, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it, it sounds at first like it's not a part of God's plan. Satan's temptation in my life is not a part of God's plan. God wouldn't want that. But yet, I don't know, if, the, if you look at this passage... This was God's, at least in Jesus' life, this was God's idea. Yeah, there's a lot of things, a lot of positive things that can come out of temptation, because the assumption, to assume that it's only negative is to assume that you're, you're going to fail. Now, certainly we're going to fail a lot, and have failed plenty of times with temptation, but we can also, God has given us the capacity as Christians to overcome temptation. And when we face it, we wrestle with it, and we overcome it, then we grow. You know, mm-hmm. so I think I think there that can be something that that can be used by God, that He can like like a judo move. He can divert the enemy's attack, you know, to uh, victory. Okay, but but someone might be listening, saying, "Well, Jesus could, but Jesus is God. Mm-hmm. I how do I like I read this and I say I just failed this morning or last night or yesterday or last week or all my life I've failed." Satan, you know, I'm listening to this and I'm realizing that Satan's been throwing these arrows at me, he's been tempting me, and I fail most of the time. And so someone might say, how do you get that Jesus identifies with us in this? Because Jesus is God, right? Could he have even failed in this? Well, I want to go back to, again, what the verses right before this from, from last week where it says that Jesus will, you know, baptize us with the Holy Spirit. The interesting thing we see in the baptism is that the Spirit comes to rest on Jesus, and then he goes compelled by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness to be tempted, right? And so we have been baptized in the Holy Spirit if we are believers in Jesus Christ. We have the Spirit inside of us, indwelling in us, and so we too can battle Satan by the Spirit of God, and then ultimately Jesus—it doesn't say it in Mark, but in other passages, it says he used the Word of God. He quoted God's Word, so that by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, we can and will have victory over Satan. Yeah, there's a, in the New Testament, and Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 10, where he says that, you know, you're not, you're not, I'm paraphrasing here, he says you're never going to face a temptation that's not just common to humanity. Mm-hmm. So, but he says, but when you do, you can trust God to provide a way through or a way out of the temptation. Not, not necessarily that God will make it disappear so that I don't have to grapple with it, but God will provide a way to get to the other side and to be victorious. But, you know, we're not um, always fully walking in the Spirit or connected mm-hmm. with the Holy Spirit in our lives. We get distracted, we are frail, we are weak, and that's where I think one of the great things about the story of Jesus' temptation is so helpful to us not only that we see he he succeeds where we often fail and so he's worthy to be our savior but there's this thread in the in the new testament that that says Jesus has been tested he's been tempted in all the same ways that we are and so it's a comfort to us that he understands our weaknesses so hebrews 4 says this high priest of ours speaking of Jesus understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we did yet he did not sin so let us boldly come to the throne of his grace of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. So I could go like, oh, you know, 
I can go like, yeah, Jesus gets what it what it means to be um, to be hungry and tempted with food. He gets what it mean what it means to be tempted with fame, and he gets what it means to go through not just temptation but all kinds of testing in this world to be. Um, emotionally abandoned and to be uh, betrayed and other things like that. And so so the encouragement is that he's so identified with humanity that even though he didn't sin, he totally gets us in the temptations and the trials that we face in our life. So he says, come to me, mm-hmm. come to me and, and find my mercy. Yep. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the question that someone might have is, well, wait a second, but did did Jesus have, because Jesus was God, he was fully human and fully God. And I think a question a lot of people ask is, in the wilderness and even throughout his life, did Jesus have some extra special power that we don't have? I mean, that's the question people have when we think about him relating to us. When we think about this verse in Hebrews 4, did Jesus have something something different that we don't have? And I think the biblical answer to this is no, that Jesus was fully human that means he veiled and he limited the use of his divine attributes. And we see, we see this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. It says, though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to, but instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And so uh, this, to me, when I first learned this, was so encouraging to me. When I think about the temptation of Jesus and, and that verse, Hebrews 4, Jesus, G- God has given to us the same Holy Spirit mm-hmm. that he gave to Jesus. So Jesus overcame temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we have at work in us. The difference is he fully submitted to God the Father. He he, he fully walked in the Spirit, whereas I think we as human beings struggle to do this. We struggle to walk in the Holy Spirit all the time, and so therefore we do sometimes fail. Yeah, I do think we have to be careful about this theological idea. Again, more theology coming out of this, this, uh, this, this week's Scripture. Um, it's called kenosis, um, the idea that he put off his divine privileges— um, there, so, but we, we're not quite fully sure exactly all that that meant because there are times when Jesus does have supernatural power, like, you know, he knows what's going on. He, he can read people's minds. Sometimes it's veiled and sometimes it's not. Obviously we know from, um, the birth of Christ that he came by the Holy Spirit through a virgin and, that that theological point is that he didn't actually take on the sinful nature of humanity. So that's the one thing Jesus doesn't have that we have is the sinful nature that we have that is at war with our spiritual nature, um, also tempting us along with Satan, or Satan uses to tempt us. And so Jesus is perfectly... Uh, God, but also fully man. He just didn't have the sin nature. So we do have to be careful about that doctrine, but yet do understand that the Bible also says the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is also in you and me. And so I don't think we fully grasp the power of the Holy Spirit, but he is there to empower us, to 
to convict us of our sin, obviously, but to help us to do things that we could not do in our humanity. Yeah, one one passage that I found instructive on this is in Matthew's Gospel, but um, the, the, Phar- the Pharisees and religious leaders saw Jesus casting demons out, and they said, oh, he's just doing it by the power of Satan. Mm-hmm. And Jesus repl- replies, he says, you know, if I cast out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit, then who does, what about your exorcists? Who are they casting out de- demons by? So Jesus didn't say, I'm casting out demons because I have divine power. He, he said, I'm doing these miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where, I, where Brian, I think you're, you're coming from in terms of, you know, we don't really know how his humanity and his deity work together day by day, you know, um, in day in and day out and handling real life situations. But the suggestion there is at least that um, he never went, oh, boom, I'm God, just watch, you know, but that he acted in so in concert with the Father's will because he was led and empowered by the Holy Spirit at every step along the way. Yeah, and that's really, I think, when I, when I read the tempta- this story of the temptation, I see, I see Jesus intentionally exercising only what we can exercise. Like you said, it's in another gospel where he shares, he, he, quotes, the, he quotes Scripture back to Satan. That's part of, we have Scripture, we have scripture also available to us mm-hmm. that we can use in our battle. He's, he's uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit to resist the temptation. We too are empowered by the Holy Spirit to resist the temptation. So it's true that we need to be careful not to equate ourselves with Jesus. And when we say that Jesus identified with us, I think it's important to note, we're not saying that we can become a God someday, Mm. like some religions teach. That's not at all biblical. But what it does say is that God became one of us. That, yes. Je- that Jesus came, and this was a kind of a surprising tactic of God's to save humanity, that Jesus came, that he, he was baptized to identify with us. He was tempted to identify with us. And so really, I guess maybe for us, it just leaves us with this question, how do we respond to a God like that? Right. Yeah, so... Uh, Mark chapter 1, it goes on to say, later on after Jesus, uh, John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, verse 14, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So Jesus came sa- saying, wow, I've got good news for you. Well, yeah, first of all, who doesn't need some good news? You know, mm-hmm. but But first of all, isn't it good news that Jesus became one of us, that he identified so fully with us, that he publicly you know, showed the world that he was really human and that he has been through the same kind of things that we've been through? And so that, that is good news. And so Jesus says, look, now's the time. Now's the time to respond to this. God promised this long ago. Now it's yours. I'm here. And so I think our, the response that that says to us is, is you know, we should... Um, Jesus has done everything we need, and so, man, we should just come to him. The love of God is here in human flesh. Why wouldn't we respond with, man, I need to take this opportunity, right? Yeah, I need to seize the moment now. And, you know, that's what we as preachers, you know, when we're, or pastors, as we're mentoring people or counseling or, or even preaching on a Sunday, it's like, 
won't you just take this opportunity? Now the glory of God has been revealed to you through Jesus Christ. We're going through this gospel of Mark, and we're looking at Jesus and all of his glory. Would you just respond to the good news that he left heaven to come be like one of us so that he could be the sacrifice? He, he defeated Satan in the wilderness so that there wouldn't be a hindrance to his mission. Yeah. He's going to fulfill it, is what he's saying, and and as we now know, he has fulfilled his mission and his promise, and the good news, Jesus came, he grew up, he defeated Satan, he he resisted temptation, um, and he ultimately died on the cross for our sins, he took our place, the sacrifice for us, and that is how we can be made right with God and, and join the family of God and and so why not take the opportunity now? Just look at him. All that he's just in the very first two sections of Mark, all that he's doing, he's doing it for us. You know, earlier I read the first part of Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Well, here's the here's the punchline. He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, mm. that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And so, you know, the Bible is telling us that, that because Jesus became one of us, he identified with one of us, that qualified him as fully human and as fully God, that qualified him to free us up spiritually and to give us hope for our eternal future. And that's why it is good news, and it does deserve to be responded to at right now. Yeah, and that verse, you know, you're talking about Hebrews 2.14. It says, yeah, Satan holds the power of death and keeps people in slavery uh, to the fear of dying. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know how long our lives are going to last here on this earth. Something could happen at any moment. God forbid it happens before we respond to Jesus Christ before we yeah. respond to this good news. That is what he is saying. The time is here. The time is now. Repent and believe. Have your sins forgiven. Trust that I am the Savior who has come to fulfill all righteousness and to save you from the wrath of God. And it's just so beautiful. And he defeats Satan. We don't have to fear death now. If we trust in Jesus, no matter what happens to us, we know we're going to be with him in eternity, in, in heaven, we're going to be with him. We don't have to worry about death or dying anymore. We can live this life with boldness and courage and on mission. We can fight against our temptations. We can fight against the sin, the things that, that lead us astray and get us off track. And we can follow God's way and not our own. But all of it starts with responding to the good news. Like we said in the last episode, Eric, we don't clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus, that we come to Jesus and we do what, what Jesus is saying here, repent and believe. And when we do that, the Bible says something changes in an instant, in a moment. If you're listening to this and you've never done that, or you're not sure if you've ever done that, I would encourage you to do that even today. Maybe maybe talk with the person who shared this podcast with you. If you, if you have a Christian friend or there's a good Christian church in your area, sit down with them and say, hey, help me to do this. Help me to respond to Jesus. We'll put a link below to a topic in our library to help you to do just that, to trust in Jesus, to respond in faith to the good news about Jesus, that Jesus became one of us. 
He went to the cross. He died on the cross for our sins, the perfect sacrifice for imperfect sinners that we are. And the Bible says that when we put our faith in him, the finished work of Jesus, that everything changes in a moment, in an instant. We'll put links below to help you to do that. Thanks for listening. And we encourage you to listen again next week as we continue to go through the Gospel of Mark. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.